I've started keeping my phone on silent, <laughs> like you now. Because <laughs> you know, I just don't don't yeah. don't want to be bothered by people. Life's easier that way. Sometimes. If they need to get hold of me, they can message me or email me or something. Phone calls. What a pain in the neck. The trouble is that they only seem to come in at the time when I just can't answer the phone anyway. You know, it's just exactly, exactly. I was out. Uh, I was out to lunch yesterday. Uh, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, Happened to be my birthday yesterday, and we oh, were we were out. Happy birthday, Peter! Thank you. Yes, this is the first, the first day of my last year as a fifty-something, which is wow. You know, <laughs> I know. It's, how the heck did I get to be here? You know, it's bizarre. Um, but anyways, I, I, we had a nice afternoon out. We went out to lunch and had a mooch around the South Bank. And there's a guy who I've done work for, and he keeps he keeps phoning me. And he keeps phoning me. And, oh yeah, sorry. Then you know, after four or five phone calls, just go straight to voicemail. Oh, sorry, I didn't realise it was a bank holiday. And, you know, well, you know, I'm not going to answer the phone call anyway. Um, and it's some stupid little thing that he wants me to to deal with. And I mean, you know, it's important to him, but it really isn't to me. And he's I've known him a long time, and I've from back in the handyman days, and he's one of probably two people that I do little odds and ends for still. Because mm-hmm. I, I, he's interesting. I like him. You know, he's a nice guy. Done, done. you know, more sizable work for him in the past. Uh, and and this particular drama, this crisis, uh, he's got a, a, a curtain rod come down and he's going away and he needs the curtains to be up when he comes back. And, and that's it. That that prompted six phone calls yesterday. Six phone calls. Oh. Uh, so anyway. you see, that'll be in the top of his list of priorities. Absolutely. Whereas it's, it's, it's like, I, well, can't, I can't go until I've got curtains. Yeah, I can't can't even begin to tell you how far down it is my list of priorities. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the Measuring Up podcast, the UK's first and possibly favourite commercial joinery podcast. I'm Andy McClellan, and I run a cabinet-making business up in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. And I'm Peter Millard, and as well as running a virtual 10-minute workshop in YouTube land, I also run a ridiculously small and far from perfectly formed carpentry and cabinet-making workshop in the garden spot of West London. Every couple of weeks or so, we get together in our internet cafe to talk about the topics of the day, whatever takes our fancy, or whatever's been suggested by you, our fantastic listeners. But before we get into all that, Andy Mack, how have you been? It seems like forever since I spoke to you. It does seem like, you know what it is, uh, last time we uh, spoke on a podcast, we were like in a hotel room. In a travel lodge in Birmingham. In Birmingham, and it worked remarkably well, I think. Maybe we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Yeah, maybe on the, on the after show, that would be a good one for the after show. Yeah, we'll have a chat about what we... I, I know we've got a few a few sort of fledgling podcasters who do listen to us, so perhaps they'd be interested in, in how we did that on the road, which is all... Uh, 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 it was an entertaining exercise and, and worked remarkably well, didn't it? Considering it did, it worked really well. I, the state, the state that we were I, in. I thought um, our voices didn't sound as as painful as as they were in real life. <laughs> it didn't sound as as bad as we felt. Absolutely, yeah. We're recording this on uh, the morning of Tuesday, the twenty eighth of May. Uh, a little bit later than usual. Uh, I was uh, away last week, and uh, thank you for uh, rearranging our schedule, Andy. To uh, to accommodate me doing this a little bit later. Oh, that's fine. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, last week, since uh, since we've been to Birmingham to Maker Central, I had a week where, well, I had a, a week of, of fannying about, as you might say, with uh, bedside tables. And uh, then last week, I was away uh, helping my son. Uh, I was away in Southampton doing a bathroom refit 
which is something I haven't done for a little while. So yeah. You've gone from cabinet maker to bathroom installer. Well, you know, how hard can it be? Needs must. Um, so some, somebody said on my, I've posted a few pictures on my Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at 10 Minute Workshop. Uh, follow the podcast on Instagram at uh, Measuring Up Podcast and follow Andy at Gosville Handyman, of course, on Instagram. We use Instagram a lot for short form video and little snippets and bits and pieces of, of how we do, as a lot of makers do. But I posted a few pictures on Instagram and somebody said, oh, uh, uh, carpenters make the best tilers because it's that you know precision that sort of attention to detail <laughs> I said yeah sure but uh, it ruins your planer blades doesn't it yeah it, it does doesn't it yeah the, <laughs> the chisels don't work too well but you get a lovely scribe though yeah but it looked awesome looked lovely work that's that it's hard work doing that by yourself it is well my son was off as well so he gave me a hand uh i used to do bathrooms i, I a lot of people said, oh, this is a bit of a departure for you. But actually, if you if you visit my commercial site at PeterMiller.com, I, it is carpentry cabinets, kitchens and bathrooms, although I haven't actually touched a kitchen or a bathroom for a few years. This is the first bathroom I've done in quite a while and probably the last as well. I don't think I'll be doing much more uh, of those going forwards. Uh, but, yeah, it was good fun. Good fun to do uh, that again. It's, it's, it reminds you when you do this sort of stuff just how many different skills you need within a bathroom because there's a little bit of electrics, there's plumbing, obviously, there's tiling, there's a little bit of carpentry, and there's an awful lot of decorating. So, yes, lots of lots of different skill sets involved. And you know, back in the day when I, would, when I did this for, for clients, uh, I did the first two. I started doing everything on my own, but you just sort of, you know, I can do it, but you just grind yourself into a <laughs> pathetic heap by the end of it. So I would have, you know, sparkies come in to do the electrics and plumbers coming in to do the wet stuff. Uh, and I would sort of be the circus ringmaster designing it and putting the basic bits together. I, I never did find a good tiler, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, so I ended up doing the tiling myself, which I'm not, you know, I don't particularly enjoy. It's fine when, it, as in my son's bathroom, it's a relatively new build and we can talk about new builds uh, as well. But uh, where the walls are you know, nice and flat and smooth, but in these typical Victorian sort of properties that I work with most of the time in London, uh, the walls are horrible. You know, they've been chopped about and adapted and, and messed around with all through the 70s and 80s. Uh, and they're a real mess. There's, you know, many layers of tile on top of plasterboard, on top of lath and plaster and, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, not uh, not much fun to work with that kind of thing. But there's working on a nice, flat, reasonably straight and level wall is is relatively, uh, relatively oh, it's easy. A, it's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. But um, I've, I've done many kitchens and bathrooms for myself, but I've never done them commercially, but um, just because... They are. They are a. Yeah. There's good money in doing that sort of work, but it's it's a lot of work. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's hard work, and some of the the some of the best um, kitchen and bathroom fitters I've seen who have they're, they're subcontracted to one of the big box shifters. Two guys, and they can do a complete bathroom in two days. Wow. You know, the, the only thing that holds them back is waiting on grout to dry basically Goodness. you know and yeah i was always just blown away about by how quickly they can get it done i think they have to pop back on the third day just to do the silicon because they can't physically do it until the grout's dried yeah on on the tiles so they get all the the install and the tiling kind of done in on day one and the remaining kind of um well 
first and second fix stuff on on day two, and then the grouting, and then day three they're in to get the uh, the silicon done and the last bits and pieces, and it's that's just pretty like amazing. Brief, it's like a machine. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, you can, the trouble is, you can you know I can't do that, but if if you're young enough and fit enough. You can do that, but you can't do it day after day after day. No. You, you just can't. You've got to take a, a break day in between that. You'll burn yourself out. Now, I find it quite funny when, I don't know if you've ever had comments like it, but I've had the odd comment on my channel saying like, uh, oh, if you were working for me, I'd need you to work a bit faster. And it's like, well, I wouldn't be working for you then, would I? <laughs> I'm not working for you, mate. You know? <laughs> because, yeah, exactly. Yes. You, you know, when you're in your 20s, then you can work at a certain pace when you're in your 40s and, and 50s, then that pace does slow down. And yeah, it, absolutely. it also slows down because you know what goes wrong when you work at that pace and you tend to make a lot more mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly our bodies, yeah. That's right. Yeah, and uh, there's no way, you know, I work at, a, at uh, a pace that I would say is the fastest at work while doing a good job and not injuring myself. Yeah. And there are plenty of people who I've seen will work a lot faster, but they're also taking a lot more risks. And there's like things will go wrong when you're working that that kind of speed, you know. But yeah, if you can get away with it, great. But you know, it's like that triangle of speed, quality, and mm. um, health cost. and safety. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. well, yeah. and cost as well. But yeah. you know, you can't have speed and quality, and also stay safe. Yep. You can't have quality and stay safe and do it quickly. You know, that something's got to suffer. Yeah. I've uh, found that I work at a, at a comfortable speed, and these people generally don't have a clue what's going on in the background anyway. I mean, when you're filming a project, you're in a completely different frame of mind to when you're working on a project normally without a camera running. You Absolutely. Absolutely. Most of the time I'm wondering, am I, is the only thing you can see at the minute is my backside, you know, or the back yeah, of my arm. That's right, yeah. or, you know, so that's the sort of thing that goes through your mind when you're filming a project and that does slow things down, yeah. but people don't understand yeah. that. Oh, absolutely. I've I've got the third part of my CNC build coming out today. I've brought it forward a little bit um, because the other one, part two, was left on a bit of a pause. So I brought this one out quickly. And I've gone through on this one, there was a, a long involved story, which I won't bore you with, but there was, there was a part that was faulty uh, and I had that replaced. So I've gone actually into the, the detail on this of how I replaced it. And it took so long to do just because I'm trying to keep my fingers out of the way of the lens because, you know, you're trying to show what you're doing. But at the same time, your, your hands are just always going to be in the way when it's this you know, fine, fiddly detail like this. Uh, and it took a long time to do that. And uh, I, I've had a few comments, oh, you know, you're not really showing the bill. What's the point of this? Or, uh, you know, what's the point of, you know, showing me screw things together if I if it takes me 10 times as long to keep my fingers out of the yeah, way? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've had shots where just to get the camera in the right position, I've had to work with a, like a hammer and chisel or with a drill or whatever. I've had to work with my hand physically knitted through the tripod. Yeah. Have, have you ever had that sort of situation? Yeah, yeah it's like absolutely. You would never, ever work like that, yeah. you know. But Just as well we have way. triple jointed arms, isn't it? Yeah. And you're, you're literally trying to weave your hand yeah. in and out the legs of the tripod to try and get your hands in a position where you can do the work 
but your hands aren't in front of the lens and blocking the thing that you're trying to film. And uh, yeah, you, you end up in some interesting positions that people just, <laughs> it's like, yeah, sorry, I'm not working at like double my current rate at the minute, but if you could see the precarious angle that I'm at at the moment, you would, yeah. you would understand. But uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. Mm. We got some uh, great feedback, I thought, from uh, over the last few weeks. We did. It's been, it's been very good. Uh, we had a great one from uh, uh, Jake, who was asking about noise and soundproofing. Um, Jake says, love the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you very much. Uh, he's in the process of planning to make the leap into being self-employed as a joint cabinet maker. And he's trying to work out uh, if he could have a workshop in his garage at home to save costs. Well, that's a, that's a great idea. Because uh, obviously keep the overheads down as much as you can. Um, but he was wondering uh, not just about the, the space issues, uh, but he lives in a residential area in Sheffield with a, an attached garage. Uh, how do we manage the noise? Well, uh, yeah, he, he puts a couple of specific questions out to, to each of us. Um, I, mine is actually a commercial workspace. So uh, although it's in the middle of a residential area, the commercial space came first. So the houses came after, so I don't have to worry too much about noise. Although, obviously, uh, you know, the, there are there are offices around me, so they don't want too much noise going on. But my my workshop is built like a brick outhouse. Uh, apparently, they were they were originally made to house uh, the fuel tanks for the heating system for the whole building, and that this whole building used to be a boot factory. Apparently way back. Mm. Uh, my end of it was bombed during the war, which is why it looks a rather nasty sort of 50s style. Um, so it's it's pretty solid and, and you know, not soundproofed in any way. Uh, but you don't get an awful lot of noise leakage. Although having said that, there's not, uh, between my unit and the one next door, uh, there's only a plasterboard partition wall. So I do hear them talking sometimes next door. There's a, a seamstress uh uh, a sewing company uh, next door to me who do sort of costuming costumes and things um so i i personally don't do anything uh, what i do isn't that noisy and it is only during the working day but i've often wondered how you handle it andy because obviously you're you're working from home effectively uh have you had any any problems with your neighbors or uh no but my my workshop is pretty well soundproofed um i've right. designed it to be pretty well soundproof from from square one so uh, just to rewind a little bit um i did make a video about mm. soundproofing and i would suggest jake watches that if you haven't already watched it um but i've i've made a i think it's called soundproofing 101 or something like that but we'll i'll pop a link in the uh, in the show notes um but you need to understand the core principles of soundproofing and one of the most important things is that density is your friend. So solid walls um, are naturally soundproof. So brick, concrete are n naturally very soundproof materials. So there's not going to be much sound leakage through your brick walls. Right. What you will get sound leakage through is air gaps. So everywhere around your roof, um, around your eaves, anything where air can freely move in and out... You need to block all of that because sound will easily get out those gaps. Um, your your roof is effectively just, what, 10 mil of tile, probably, or, or slate, or mm. it might just be a wooden flat roof. I don't know what the roof's made of. 
Um, a little bit of insulation in there as well, but it won't, won't do much to, to keep the sound down. No, the, the insulation does very, very little to, to control um, uh, to control soundproofing. It can help in terms of sound absorption and it can reduce echoing and, and things. Mm. And that, that reduction in, in echoing can make it sound like the noise is quieter. It, if you've got a decibel meter out, it would probably be no quieter, but you get that kind of perceived volume drop because there's less sound bouncing about. Bouncing around, got um, it, yeah. But, and it's like the old egg box thing, you know. Egg boxes don't do a thing for soundproofing, but they do reduce echoes. Yeah. And therefore, because all the echoing's reduced, you think that the that it's doing some sort of soundproofing. It's not doing any soundproofing whatsoever. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, so you need to think about how you're going to treat the roof or the ceiling. Um, so in my workshop, I've, I've put in a plasterboard ceiling. So I've got plasterboard, insulation on top of the plasterboard, then a great big air gap, and then I've got the roof of the garage. Plus I've got loads of stuff up in the loft of my garage anyway, like yeah. rubbish and old boxes and things. So all of that kind of goes towards it. Um, I've sealed up every air gap there is around the workshop. And then on the other side of the garage, I've got a double MDF wall. And MDF is, again, density is your friend. Yeah. MDF is, is v- very dense. Um, the plasterboard's very dense as well, but plasterboard's not very practical for attaching things onto the wall in a workshop. So No, sure. You can get soundproof or sound or acoustic plasterboard, can't you? Yeah, yeah, the, the, and it's just different levels of density, basically. You get like the, yeah, it's just, it's, but it's it's just heavy, isn't it? It's just dense. Yeah, yeah. like the sound block plasterboard and stuff, and then you yeah. can also get uh, special glues for gluing layers of the plasterboard on top of each other, so you can get special, mm-hmm. um, and it just comes in a mastic tube, you know, but it's expensive. It's like 15 or 20 quid a right. tube or something. Yeah. But it's designed to prevent sound transmission between layers of plasterboard because again you want to try and minimize transmission of sound through solid objects so solid objects are very good at transmitting sound so if you've got a vibrating table saw and it's touching your wall your wall Mm. effectively becomes a giant speaker for your table saw because the vibration of the saw vibrates the wall and that especially if it's like a plasterboard wall or something you know um so as i say I've got MDF, two layers of MDF, one's uh, 12mm, one's 18mm, so uh, 30mm of MDF with insulation in between. And then on the outside of that, there's another brick wall, and then you've got the outside. So you've got 12mm MDF, insulation, 18mm MDF, big air gap, brick wall, and then... Neighboring right. property. What do you do? And you can't hear a thing. Okay. What do you do? That. Presumably, with a, because you you work from your garage, uh, presumably you had an up and over door there. What, what did what do yeah. you do to seal that up? So, same again, blocked up um, with a, a false wall, stud wall, right, um, and eighteen mil MDF and uh, insulation yeah. again, okay. and it's it's fine. Uh, I think I only yeah I only use one layer of MDF on that and. Purely on the basis that there's no one in front of my garage door, so it doesn't right. like it's never going to disturb anyone anyway. It's not going to impact on neighbours going that going just no, out into the street it's, effectively out onto your drive. It's it's my drive, you yeah. know. So yeah. I would only be disturbing myself. But I've had the table saw and um, 
uh, dust extractor running and I've gone outside and, and everything and, and it, it's fine. And then my door into the workshop, a lot of people have asked, why have I made a door out of MDF? I've made a door out of MDF because it's soundproof, because it's very dense. Yeah. Um, so, again, to try and keep the weight down a little bit, I went for two layers of 12 mil. Right. Um, rather than 18 mil, because I think 18 mil would just be, for two layers of 18 mil on a door, Yes. would be very, very heavy. Yeah, if you're putting some stresses on those hinges. Yeah, yes. So I, I just went for 12 mil with a like a torsion box thing you know how how you would make a, a, yep, a, sure. a 36 mil a, a workbench yeah, yeah yeah and uh that works really well that's why i've gone for the mdf door just to for soundproofing again um and and it's all great but i have designed everything to be temporary because this has only ever been a temporary thing um i've, mm. I've, I've have no intention of having a workshop in my garage for the entire time and i would love to find no, sure I'm, I'm always on the lookout. The twenty, the twenty-seven thousand square foot. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'd, I'd settle set yeah. for five hundred square foot. You know, but well, this is it, isn't it? I was, uh, we were out uh, uh, a, a completely different story, but we were out in our, in our back garden, and uh, my back back garden is almost exactly five by ten meters, so fifty square meters, six hundred square feet, near enough. And it is, you know, it would be just about the perfect workshop size, just that one big room yeah, that size. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but, but you just can't find those. They, well, I'm sure they must exist somewhere, but it does seem to be a particularly difficult thing to find. It um, is. And- a, a workspace of that size. They're either smaller, you know, single garage size or double garage size, like ours are, you know, 250, 300 square feet. Or, yeah. Eight, nine, a thousand square feet. Uh, there doesn't seem to be that in between your size, which is a bit of a shame, really. And it's something that I'd, I really think, genuinely, this this is a. Th- it's got to get sorted out at some point because no joiner can afford, and unless you're running kind of a bigger commercial joinery outfit with staff and and you're turning mm. it into a bigger thing, but that's not what we do. Um, but you can't run a one-man band joinery business and have a 40 grand a year workshop or even a 10 or 20 grand a year workshop. It's yeah. like, you know, how much extra work are you going to have to do just to stand still, just to make that extra bit of money yeah. that you're going to have to make? Because yeah, yeah. once you add all the bills and everything else on, you're quickly up to 20 grand of running costs, even for your smallest workshop that you can potentially get for a commercial space. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's re- and I know of, really really top joiners i'll i'll not shout them out uh because I, I know they're in a slightly precarious position but uh one particular he he knows who he is if he listens to the show he does <laughs> stunning work and i was having a chat with him at, at maker central he does you know beautiful beautiful uh joinery work and he's currently in a position where he might be having to shut his whole business down because some someone's complained about noise and the council's now involved, and oh, um, wow. he's, he's he working, working out of his garage. Is he working from home? Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, and the stupid thing is, is that they complained about noise when it was like a sunny day, and he happened to be cutting a piece of wood outside to try and make use of the nice weather. And um, up to that point, they didn't even know he had a workshop in his garage. Yeah, and the irony, of course, is that as a commercial carpenter, joiner, cabinet maker, whatever. 
you're only ever going to be working during the working day. Exactly. You're not typically going to be working weekends. Whereas if you're a hobby woodworker, you'd be out there every evening and every weekend yeah. with your saw out and your router running or your planer or whatever else. So, you know, they're probably a commercial joinery is going to be creating less nuisance noise than a hobby or a DIY weekend warrior. Definitely. And then, and, and that is another important point for Jake is that I only generally ever use the workshop nine to five, Monday yeah. to Friday. I've, I'm very, very, there's been the odd occasion where a job's overrun and I've been in there till one o'clock in the morning, but I've been very careful about what tools I've been using yeah. and, and just, been very cautious that I'm not disturbing anyone and because all it takes is a phone call to the council and the council to get involved yeah. and for them to start kicking off and suddenly it's bye-bye business, you know, and, and it's really frustrating and something's got to be done about this. I, I don't understand why um, it's so hard to just build a house on a plot of land and have a workshop on it. And yeah. we're going to lose all small trades if we're not careful here, yeah. because yeah. The, there's certain businesses where you've you've just got to have a look. You've got to have space. You, you can't work out the the back of your van, yeah, or the back of your truck if you if you're doing the kind of work that we do. I suppose you can. I know, I know some guys do. We've mentioned this before, but to get the sort of level of finish and attention to detail that we do takes space and and if you rewind and i was just chatting to my wife about this the other day you know if if you rewind maybe i don't know two or three hundred years not not that long in the scheme of things okay yeah you would have had there's a house there's a house with a blacksmith's on it there's another house there's a house with a carpenter in it yeah there's another house and, you know, everything would have been intermingled and everyone would have known each yep. other and it would have all been... Absolutely. There are there are houses. I, I live in a Victorian sort of uh, 1860s, uh, maybe early early 1870s property, and all the houses around here are of a similar sort of age. And there are houses amongst the terraces that have what were workshops within them. They have, you know, big double doors like garage doors, but they go through the terrace into a yard at the back. Uh, and they would have had, as you say, a, a blacksmith or a, you know, cobbler or a, you know, a carpenter. Uh, some other sort of small industry would be in there, in amongst all the houses. And I, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they did disturb their neighbours, or, or maybe they kept it to the working day. Or maybe their neighbours uh, understood that they weren't going to get any metal gates for their front drive if they didn't just put up with a bit of noise through the day that didn't actually maybe. cause any. Problems, Maybe. you know, and I'm not suggesting that like every second on a house on a street should have a active workshop in it. But um, as I say, I don't understand why they can't just open up plots of land where you could just build a property with a workshop at the end of the garden. Or yeah, it, it's coming back to this whole problem of deeds of new houses now are so restrictive in terms of what you can do with yes. them. We're going to end up in a situation where there are no small trades anymore because you're not allowed to park a van on your drive. Yeah, yeah. You're not allowed to use your property for any form of commercial use. You're not allowed to use your garage yes. for anything other than storing a pigeon. Livestock. Ooh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly. about that. <laughs> so uh, uh, it's difficult. Yeah. It, it's it, it's very difficult. And uh, as you say, unless things change planning permission as well planning planning is a, a bit of a nightmare i've got a 
A bit of a story about that too. Um, uh, uh, do you want to carry on with some more feedback, or do you want to get into your, your new build? Uh, oh, you've had a fun video out on. That'll on YouTube be quite a big you. one. So uh, we'll, we'll maybe come back to that. But um, there's nothing else on the workshop thing, is it? For so we're saying, does noise escape? Not much, but I have done a lot of work in my garage to make sure that noise doesn't escape. So yeah, I've done nothing um, in mine other than get a a solidly brick built structure with uh with very little opportunity for for noise to escape so yeah yeah uh, and that's, that's and he's, he's saying as well that it's an attached garage um again you know attached garages you you it depends what's on the other side but if it's someone's house on the other side of the garage yeah you just need to be have very understanding neighbors because you don't want to end up at a point where you do all this work and then you're told you can't use yeah. it you know so um you just do do your homework and just work out how much noise is going to get yeah. through to adjoining properties and you know is it going to be right onto someone's garden or yeah uh, yeah and do let us know how you get on jake that's uh let us know what you decide yeah. because that'd be very interesting indeed uh we've got a fantastic note from jay uh and jay says that he's a u.s marine stationed in japan who's retiring in the summer and he's registered to attend the Chippendale International School of Furniture mm. outside Edinburgh. And he was wondering what our thoughts are on private colleges versus your, your traditional um, trade routes. Um, and, and I think, personally, those sort of routes are fantastic. It's expensive, I think. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact costs off the top of my head, but I'm, yeah. I'm sure you're into kind of five-figure territory. Wow. Yeah, I, I would, from from the people I've spoken to, the quality of the education you get from those sort of private schools is, is just um, on a different level, you know, totally mm. different league to anything that you would get in a normal uh, college learning how to build stud, stud walls and stuff like that. But then... Um, you do have to consider what you're going to do at the end of it. Yes. You know? But if it is just for your own satisfaction of doing that, and, you know, maybe you will eventually branch out into doing high-end furniture, uh, but but yeah. that it's a yeah. hard business to build something like that up from scratch. That's all I would say. Absolutely, yes. Uh, and, in fact, I don't, I don't know of any furniture makers of that type who don't also have some kind of teaching facility attached to them as well um i i don't know of any of any who who just make high-end sort of one-off furniture pieces uh, without having the, the the additional income of uh of sort of teaching as well yeah so yeah tough uh potentially a tough game to to get involved in but uh i agree i think the the quality of education that you'll get from those sort of private schools will be uh uh, far and away better than uh, uh, than anything you can get from sort of the, the typical sort of college education, um, stud walls and all the rest of it. Definitely, definitely. Uh, we had a nice uh, email from uh, Matthew, who's uh, running a starting a small uh, YouTube channel. He says he's uh, filmed a couple of little pieces and he's got the podcast running in the background, uh, and asked if uh, we would be happy for that to happen as a as a rights 
issue. I don't think I've got any problem with that, have you? Well, this is an interesting one. So, hello, Matthew, from Pure DIY Maintenance. And, and thank you for asking. That's the, that's the important thing. Yeah. Uh, well done. You've realised that there's a potential rights issue here, which is uh, excellent. I've asked this exact same question to two other big podcasts right who happen to have been on in the background when i've been doing stuff and i've never heard anything back and then i've sent them another note and it's like look can i do this or not and i've never heard anything and uh personally i don't have a problem with it as long as they credit us so that people know yeah credit us what the podcast is um i would suspect on the bigger shows they have to be a little bit careful about what we're, you know, we're not giving away any rights to, to do whatever you like with the show. No. But if, it, but if it's just on in the background um, and you provide some sort of credit, then that's awesome. The more people yeah. who get to listen to podcasts, the better, in my view. But Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I say, it's a question that I've asked of, of bigger podcasts and I've never managed to get a solid answer mm, on it which has always frustrated me slightly and i always thought well you know what it is yeah so so it doesn't of, really make any no. difference where you're listening it from and as long as people know what it is out of interest what did you do did you did you put the video out regardless or did you show that I, I put it on patreon only for one right. of them and the other one uh i think i chopped it up so much but often i ended up just cutting everything out that was the podcast because mm. i was I kind of got the impression that they maybe didn't want me to do that. Um, right. But I, I always have generally put a credit, but then I've never heard anything back. And eventually you kind of think, well, you know, I've jumped through all the hoops here and I'm still not hearing anything back from you. And eventually yeah. it's like, well, stuff you then. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. It, you know, there's there's a whole issue of fair, fair use um, uh, comes into it as well. Uh, you need to. You do need to be careful. Uh, just as a as a quick sort of aside for Matthew, that um, when you're recording this sort of stuff, even things like incidental background music uh, can can have your video pulled. Uh, I did a, a little video where I was. I happened to be walking through a warehouse one time that had the radio on in the background, and I I missed it. Didn't. Yeah, you know, it was just part of the background music. I didn't. Wasn't playing the song myself but uh the video got pulled by uh youtube because of the background uh music uh so yeah you do need to be careful about that and, and uh thank you matthew for uh, for asking the question uh as i say yeah a credit would be good and best of luck with your uh, but otherwise i don't think we've got and, and best of luck with the channel yeah great fantastic stuff um and also, you've inspired me to set up my own workshop doing handmade one-off items for people. Superb. Well, that's nice. Brilliant. Yeah. Enjoy the podcast. And, and, and yeah, as I say, just give it a bit of a credit. Um, I think the, the main thing is that the, whatever you're putting out there doesn't become just a rip-off copy of the podcast. You know, I think that's where you start end yes. up getting onto dodgy yeah. territory. And you, and you can't, yeah, you can't sort of edit your video so that the edit on the podcast sounds significantly yeah. different or sounds like we're saying something that we didn't say, you know, that, that sort of stuff. But yeah, as long as, long as it's incidental in the background, I don't think, uh, I don't think we have any, any objection. I, I guess it becomes, if people are watching your video just to listen to our podcast... <laughs> <laughs> then, then questions might well, be asked. First, but if people well, are watching well, your video, the first to watch of which is you need to do better videos. Well, yeah, very true. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. What else have we got? What else have we got? We got um, ba, 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 ba. Uh, make a central 
and beyond from Ryan. Um, this is an interesting one. Uh, uh, Ryan says, just another quick congratulations on your contribution to the Mega Central 2019. I thought the entire show was excellent. I do have some thoughts and maybe you can discuss on a future show. And here we are. Uh, Ryan says he visited the show on Saturday and was blown away by the selection of woodworking stands and tool manufacturers, uh, the main reason he attended. But he generally felt that a lot of other types of makers weren't very well represented. I know there were a handful of other uh, maker crafts, but felt uh, but it felt a little light. Do we think this is because the woodworking makers are so popular? And if so, will the myriad of other crafts be represented in the future? Maker Central is still in its infancy, I guess, uh, Ryan says. As always, your opinions are welcome. This comes at a really interesting time because I know you're not a Facebook user and I'm not really, but I, I am. Uh, I look in on a one Facebook group in particular. Uh, and the question came up on on this about Maker Central and what people thought about it. And it's a fascinating read because the number of people who have got the wrong idea of what Maker Central was about altogether is just extraordinary. People moaning about the price of entry, people whining about the the price of car parking. What? Uh, how it was, there were too many resin manufacturers, there's too much CNC, there weren't enough... Uh, discounts available on the on the tools and you think you know it's not a tool show it's not a woodworking show <laughs> you know it's not a youtube show although there are lots of youtubers there it, it's about it's more about people than things and yet there were tool manufacturers there all the usual suspects are there there were triton and axminster and Hikoki and a few others i'm not going to name and my apologies if you were there and spent a large expensive stand and i've missed you out uh, I know on the Triton stand in particular, uh, they had to get more stock in for the Sunday because they sold out of some things on the Saturday. And they they said that they'd never had that before at any kind of uh, typical tool show that they've been to before. So it, it is interesting, people's opinion of it. Um, I know uh, you were there last year. I, I wasn't. I think there were a lot of wood-turning things going on last mm. year. This year, there did seem to be quite a few resin stands, and there were quite a few CNC, you know, related stuff. Well, one of the major sponsors is is Vectric, which you know arguably does some of the some of the better CNC software for these machines. Uh, so, fairly obviously, there's going to be a bit of you know bit of support from CNC makers to that as well. Um, but I, I I guess they can only get the stands that they get. They can only get the stands that people apply uh, yeah, to take space. It's, you know, I, I'm not sure what more they can do, really, other than I don't know. There, there were some people on this uh, on this Facebook thread who said that they'd never heard of it. They only found out about it the week before. I mean, where have you been? <laughs> but then, <laughs> to be fair, it is really a YouTube orientated thing, and if you live your life mm-hmm. outside YouTube, you probably wouldn't have heard of it. I suppose so. Um, but it doesn't excuse just not doing the most basic bit of homework and just looking on the Maker Central website, which instantly tells you what yeah. the show is about. You know, it, it's pretty obvious from yeah. square one. Even if you've not heard of Colin Furs and Bob Claggett and Jimmy Duresta, yeah. even if you've not heard of the big names. It spells out pretty clearly that the show is about a, a meet-up of 
makers from around the world and it's obviously got a very big youtube theme to it because a lot of the makers that are meeting up have youtube channels and at no point yep. does make a central advertise itself as being a trade show as far as i'm aware i would i would never no. think of make a central as being a trade show so it sounds to me that people have just fundamentally got the wrong end of the stick yeah. Probably because they've just not bothered to read what's on the website. Possibly, uh, a few people made the point in the thread that if you pre-booked, uh, I think that I had to ask because I didn't know what the ticket price was. Price was because obviously we had a stand there. The Measuring Up podcast had a stand, and thank you very much, everybody who came to visit us. It was uh, fantastic to see you. Indeed. Uh, so I, I actually had to ask what the what the ticket price was. It was twenty seven pounds apparently to get in, uh, and parking was sixteen. Uh, at the NEC, although you could park nearby for somebody said two pound fifty, uh, and if you pre-booked, uh, sorry, if you pre-booked, the prices came down to twenty-two and twelve for entry and parking, and you could actually park uh, one stop away and take a two pound fifty return train ticket to the NEC if that's what you wanted to do. You could park for free uh, and get the the train there for the final the final leg. Um, it, it, it's not a yeah, huge... What, what would you pay to see a girly pop band at an, an, an arena gig for a couple of hours? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and I guess the argument is, well, it's not a girly pop band. Uh, there were a couple of people who said, oh, well, the, you know, the, the, the motorbike show at, uh, the NEC is only sort of 12 pounds or something. Well, the motorbike show gets a hundred thousand visitors. I think, uh, Maker Central, first of all, it's only the second year it's been on. So it's still, uh, as Ryan says, it's in its infancy. Uh, but also, uh, I think Maker Central tweeted that they had 9,000 people through the doors, which isn't very big. It's not very many. 9,000 people at 20 quid a head. It's, uh, it's not good. It's not- yeah, I, I thought with more, I'd, I'd heard more than that. But yeah, I, I then saw that on one of the videos. I can't remember where they the mentioned yeah. the 9,000. It was like, I'm sure someone mentioned 16,000 or something on just on a Saturday, but maybe that was just mm. estimates or or something. Um, but either way, it is a very niche thing. So if you want to put on a niche event, which still has to cater for a lot of people, then it is going to cost quite a lot yeah. of money to put something like that on. But um, but then, I mean, the motorcycle show, I know people are used to uh, exhibit at that, and most, most of the companies are shutting down and going bust, so... I wouldn't hold well, my no. breath that that's going to be around for much longer. But I, I don't know. I, th- I think there's always going to be an element of people who just grumble for the sake of grumbling. And uh, I, I thought it was an amazing event. I would have happily paid to go to an event like that. Yeah. Um, well, because there's nothing else quite like it. No, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's because it's not a tool show, because it's <laughs> uh, it's not a woodworking show, because there were, there's a boat there, there was a guy's hammering metal on an anvil or a, you know a whole host of other other things to see and do I suppose you could um but i suppose i suppose if you did go thinking it was a woodworking show or thinking it was a trade show or a tool show then you might come away being disappointed by it but yeah as you say yeah you know, a couple of minutes initial research looking at the website should have uh, put pay to any ideas you might have that it's uh, that it's that kind and of I thing i think before spending best part of 50 quid on tickets and parking i would have done some basic research of what the show was about <laughs> the fundamentals of uh, yeah but, uh, coming back to what yes. ryan was saying um 
we don't know that it's ever going to be on again. You know, at the moment, we, we've we not don't. heard anything about it. It was only ever, from my understanding, it was only ever supposed to be a one-off thing last year. And then Nick had his arm twisted to run it again this year, which was supposed to be kind of the last ever. And then I think he's having his arm twisted again, but it it does sound like a massive... Um, a massive ball ache to put on a show like that. If you're not an events management company and that's not the thing that you do for a job, yeah. um, trying to organising a uh, trying to organise a show like that just it, it must just take a colossal amount of time and, and organisation. I'd be surprised if they make yeah. any money out of it uh, at all. Just by the time they've paid all their staff and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. um, so at the moment we don't know if it's going to be on again um, however if it is i'll be there definitely yeah definitely um yeah. i think it's quite representative of the youtube algorithm because if you imagine when maker central started it was all started via nick and his wood turning channel yeah nick Zametti, and, this is and, yeah. and he uses resin a lot on on his channel yeah so ev- everything okay. he does is kind of wood, resin, wood turning. You can kind of see how if you extrapolate out from that, okay, okay these are, these are going to be the channels who watch his channel and oh, look, they're all interlinked with like Jimmy DeResta and I like to make stuff and then um, that kind of interlinks with a lot of the podcasts. And if you imagine how everything branches out, mm. there aren't, uh, like metalworking stuff just doesn't get shown to me as part of the wood, as part of the YouTube algorithm, do you know what I mean? The, the, yeah, okay. So, I, I would guess that's why there's not much from other makers because the way that the the message of everyone attending kind of spreads around YouTube, yeah, through the way the YouTube algorithm works, I would imagine you are going to end up with a lot of makers who are very similar. I hadn't thought of that at all. That, that's that's a very good point, actually. Yeah. Okay. So, other than people who have then heard about it on the grapevine, or obviously they've got Colin Furs in as a big yeah. name, um, but your, your typical metal workers probably aren't. Yeah, they might not even know about it. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Mm. That's my I guess. Anyway. Mm. So, uh, what else have we got? Uh, yeah, we had one more one more message from uh, Nigel, who says, "Hi guys, great to meet up with you at the Maker Central. Thank you very much. Uh, quick question." Uh, in your MU poddy, interesting. You talk about branding irons. Uh, do we have any details? I think I'd put the, the a link in the show notes of that podcast, but uh, we'll put them in the links uh, in the show notes of this podcast as well. I deal with branding iron, uh, which is uh, supplied to me uh, through uh, a guy with an Etsy store, uh, Outpost Workshop UK, I think it was, and I think you've got one as well, which came from elsewhere. We'll we'll put those links. Or those details in the show notes to uh, to this podcast, but yes, yeah, mine came via an eBay seller, a UK. Oh no, well, it was an eBay seller who is in Australia, who then I think outsource outsources it to China, uh, and then it comes in via some other country. So it, it's a true, truly international branding item. Right, mine was lovingly handcrafted in Liverpool, so uh, or at least hand CNC'd in Liverpool. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yes, okay. We'll pop those uh, links in, in the show notes. Is yours electric, Andy, or is it a heat-up one? No, just a 
It's literally just a flat piece of metal with a yeah, same as thread me. on it. It didn't come with a handle or anything. <laughs> okay. But I've had mine for, for a couple of years, I think, at least. So right. I, th- I think branding irons have, have become a little bit easier to get hold of over the last year or so. Yes, I'm sure. Um, when I was originally looking around for mine, I couldn't find anyone in the UK doing them at all. As I say, this is the only place I could find. I'm sure there were places that did them, but I mm. couldn't find any at the time. So... Uh, what else? Oh, planning permission you were talking about. Um, uh, only tangentially. It was it was to do with new builds and stuff, really. So I don't know if you want to uh, shelve that. Um, it, it's more it's more to do with with the new build. Uh, it's a new build horror story, uh, courtesy of my sister, actually. So um, we can we can put that into the show when when we talk about your your new build. Uh, well, we can talk about that now if you want. I, I and unless there's anything you want to go into at the minute. Oh, uh, to your your legs. Oh, the legs on mm. on you. <laughs> uh, Let's talk about the legs. Let's talk about the legs on your bedside tables. Uh, legs on my bedside tables. Oh, if, if you don't want to talk about them, then no, no, fine. it's fine. So the legs on my bedside tables. Uh, where, where, where do we where do we get to last time? Because you know this is we, we got up time. to you were going to have to hand chisel the bottom of your legs away. Uh, just so you could fit them into these new cr- crazy legs into these little little slipper slipper feet cup feet okay so I, I yeah that's right so I did that I I found a way to do it using my track saw actually mm-hmm. uh, and I did put a little snippet of video up on um, on Instagram oh, I did a short video last week that's right about about doing this because it's a bit of a fiddle the problem is because there's a low shelf on these things you can't get the track saw in to do the inside cut. So you've got to do it as a wayside cut. So I, anyway, um, got the got the cut all the way around done and I chiseled the feet down, chiseled the bottom of the, of the legs down to accept these feet. And the feet, I had only had one foot, you might recall, uh, as a trial and they'd ordered some more and were, were sent to me. And and again, this is if you've followed the story. I've I've had a bit of a ruck with the interior designers, and there's more to come on this as well. Actually, um, the, the the designer associate, the young woman that that I deal with, uh, I I spoke, swapped a few emails with her, and I said, you know, I I figured out what I was doing with the feet, and I I got the feet sort of, you know, shaped down, the bottom of the leg shaped down to accept this shaped caster uh, and I shot her a quick email to say you know by the way I've done these you know whenever you get the, the feet to me I'll, I'll get them sorted for you this was uh, a Wednesday of last week so before a uh, week before last so before I went away I was going away on the Friday down to Southampton to, to do my son's bathroom and oh that's wonderful you're amazing that's fantastic I'll get those feet organised now uh, sends me another email, DPD, next day delivery, fantastic. You, you can track these things. That's, I thought, okay, okay, that's okay. As long as they arrive at a reasonable time and get these fitted and get them, you know, get out, get rid of them uh, early Friday morning. Uh, all through Thursday, the DPD delivery was showing up as 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 we haven't received your package yet. Oh. So we, we followed it up. And, oh, no, they're coming out for delivery tomorrow. Well, you know, okay, let's let's reassess. I ship the bedside tables off uh, to be sprayed because they're going to have their their colour changed. They they know that I haven't got I haven't got time to do this, uh, so they go off. 
really sorry about this. Okay, fine, no problem. Uh, as it happens, I'm not actually going on the Friday. I decided to go on the Saturday. Uh, all day Friday, nothing at oh. all from this delivery. Saturday morning rolls around. I leave because, you know, I've got stuff to do. I get a, whilst I'm away in Southampton, I get a, a note to say that they've been signed for on Monday. So this was last mm-hmm. Monday. But I've got no idea who signed for them. <laughs> They've arrived here somewhere, and I've got no idea who's got them. I've got to go and have a dig around to, to try and find what, out. What, to your, to your Some, home address or to, somebody, the, somebody, to the workshop? No, to the workshop address. Somebody somewhere in, in the workshop building has signed for them, somebody called Nick. I've got no idea <laughs> who that is. Oh, Lord. So I've got to try and track these damn things down. Uh, in the meantime, I presume they've been, they've been painted and will be on their way back to me at some point, possibly today or tomorrow, uh, to have their, their feet fitted. And presumably you've had to base it just on the one sample foot. That, just on the one were... foot, so we may I may need to tweak them a little bit, get the rasp out and uh, alter them slightly. Joy. Uh, so, uh, joy. So, and you ended up having to put a taper on the bottom of every MDF Yeah, it's a, it's a tapered, it's a, it's, a, it's a classic sort of straight-sided, thankfully the others were flared, they would have been a pain in the neck to, to fit. Uh, but straight-sided, so tapering down from about 30, 30 mil at the top, it turns out, down to about 22 at the bottom. So it's quite a steep taper in a, in a fairly short uh, space. So yes, bit of a bit of a... What's name to do that? Uh, I think there'll be a little bit of a glue applied in there as well as a couple of screws uh, to get these to get these fitted. Uh, but the weird thing is, you know, I had this this bit of a you know disagreement. I got a a, a very formal email from uh, the big boss designer after I'd you know it wasn't an expleted uh, expletive. Uh, uh, rich email that I sent. I, all I said was, "Oh wow." Seriously, when they said they wanted to do a color change, anyway, they got to, uh, this. Well, if that's your, I, I was shocked by the, by your tone. I'll make sure you don't uh, do any more work for this client again. Uh, but this was the client that I did my big job for last year. Over the weekend, I got an email from them to say, "Oh, we need some wardrobes fitting in our spare bedroom. When you've got a minute, could you come by and do a measure up?" Oh, really? So, I don't know what's going on here. I just, it's, it's just and. Baffling Are you allowed bizarre. to do work for them direct, or well, that's the Does question, it have isn't to it? Be yeah, via I, the I guess designer or? through the designers. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I just, oh. <laughs> don't know where I am. Don't know where I'm coming to go. And to cap it all, this is the other thing. I've got another another little couple of side tables to do in the similar sort of style, but without the draw. But thirty six mil section all around. The designer that I work for, the design associate. Uh, said, oh, uh, we've got into this thing where I bill a 50% deposit for them and then 50%, 50% on completion. Uh, and she said, oh, for this one, uh, bill us the whole amount because this client's a bit slow to pay. And blow me, while I was away, I got an e- email from her to say, oh, we've, we've paid this one, by the way. So they paid in advance for, for the next two two tables. Wow. I, I just... Uh, I don't know. Couldn't make it up. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just don't know whether I'm coming or going with these guys. I really don't. Yeah, yeah. So yes, that's that's the state of the tables. I don't know. I don't know how the spraying went. Hopefully, I'll find out. It, it wasn't sent to the normal guys who went out to uh, another sprayer that they use. Who I don't really know. Otherwise, I'd have given these these guys a call to see how they got on spraying on top of uh, 
the linseed oil painter if it had to all come off. I, I was going to say, are they happy to do that then? Are they just taking that on? I have absolutely no idea other than the fact that, uh, yeah, the feet have been delivered somewhere and and that they've paid me in advance <laughs> for the next job. I've had no no communication from them at all, so very strange. So it might be... Um, <sighs> we'll see, we'll see. So it might be tables with no feet in the paint hanging off. Could be, yeah. But, you, uh, yeah. but you've been paid. Uh, yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so jobs, jobs are good and on to the next one. <laughs> jobs are good and on to the next one, yeah. <laughs> oh my, I don't know. So yes, anyway, well, th- that story will continue and will unfold. I had a message on... Um, on Instagram, actually, from somebody asking if uh, a, a side question about these little bedside tables and asking me if I'd done any, if I'm going to do a build video on them. And I hadn't really, to be honest. I've shot a little bit of video on them because I didn't think they were that interesting. But this whole saga has taken so long. I may well do, uh, I may well cobble something together from what I've shot already. Because- Are they similar to, um, I can't remember, didn't you do a video on making a coffee table or console table? Console no, table. The, they're, they're much smaller, much narrower. Same sort of principle, I guess. Smaller section, narrow section. Uh, and the bedside tables had drawers in them, so that was... Yeah, I was going to say a little bit drawers, more interesting, a little, a little different. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, good luck with that. Thank you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so in the meantime, uh, yeah. in the meantime um, I, I, I've been running internet cables around my house. Yes. And um, finding... Have you found finding anything interesting, Andy? I don't, well, yeah. So, and and the thing is, this has caused so many problems for me because I'm in the middle of a whole series of videos singing the praises of new builds and <laughs> why um, I've never had any major problems in the new build that I'm in, and yeah. um, I've I've had a whole I've I've literally got videos mid where I've filmed lots of bits and I just haven't started the edit yet, but I'm going on about yeah. like how you never run into that many problems and, you know, all houses were new once and, and, uh, and, and then, and then in, um, in the process of pulling cables, uh, through a soil stack, um, enclosure, is that right? Yeah. The, the boxing in around the soil stack. Yeah. And I, I, just as an aside, uh, my son lives in a 2003 built property and it was such a pleasure to work on. Yeah. <laughs> when doing his bathroom, easy access to everything. Yeah. Uh, ceiling voids were easy. Uh, concrete floor, which surprised me a little bit. Very solid. I totally agree about the density of uh, uh, and the lack of noise coming through. Is it flat? So, uh, but yes. <clears throat> yes, it's a flat. Yeah, they'll have to do that for fireproofing, I would imagine, the, the concrete yeah. floor. So, uh, uh, but yeah, an absolute dream uh, to work on. Uh, however, uh, you, you tweeted out about this and, and talked about this. And I have to say, yeah. After what you said on Twitter and Instagram about having to, you know, make sure you have your lunch first, I, I was expecting the worst, let's say. But in fact, what you found was a bottle of builder pee. Yeah, a, a bottle of wee wee, uh, five years old, hidden in inside one of the walls. Nice. And um, yeah, it, it had been there from, I've owned this house literally from, um, it being built off plan, and uh, it's been sitting there, probably put in by the drywallers. I would have thought uh, a full one liter bottle of urine hidden inside uh, a cavity where the soil stack um, runs, mm. and that would have been there forever if if 
if I hadn't been doing yeah. this work. You know, it was in such a position where even if you were doing remedial work on the bathroom and ripped the bathroom out, you probably still wouldn't have cut this bit of plasterboard out. You wouldn't have cut that bit of pipe out. And it was only because I was running a cable down this gap that I had to cut that bit of plasterboard out. And uh, and the thing is, everything was very neat under the bath. You know, you you often find in new builds, depending on who's built it, a lot of rubbish hidden in all these little areas. And it was all perfectly neat, no rubbish, everything perfectly cleaned out. And then I took away this bit of plasterboard and just neatly tucked in the corner there. And the thing is, it, it's a it's a blue bottle, but then you could once you get it out, you can tell the contents of it are a yellowy, yeah. greeny colour. Um, but the, the blue bottle, when I saw it, at first I thought it was like a bottle of antifreeze or something. You know, the, the first thing that springs to mind yeah. when you see a blue bottle. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was like, what's that? Of course. And then it wasn't until I got it out and you can see my face just, uh, you can see my face just drop on the video when it's like, oh yeah. my God. Because at first it was like, eee, what have they done? The cheeky blighters have left like a bottle of antifreeze in Easy there. Just as a, left a bottle yeah. of pop or something, yeah. And then you get, out, get it out and it's just that. And the yeah. thing is, I was filming the whole project because I was making a video about how to run cables around a new build basically just because i was putting this ethernet cable in and it had to go down three stories um and through the loft and all that and i thought it'd be quite an interesting video just to show people my thought process for trying to find the neatest ducting and and stuff that you can run cable through of course um and and that's what i used to do for well part of what i used to do for a living for a long time you know yeah sure it's quite funny in the comments is it the odd person Oh, I've got an IT degree and you're doing this wrong. It's like, yeah, mate, I, I did this for 16 years yeah, professionally, yeah, so I blow it out your backside. <laughs> and uh, someone saying, oh, in professional environments, you would never crimp the end of a cable. It's like, I, I, think, I think you, you would. would. Actually, yeah. I mean, to be fair, you wouldn't crimp onto solid core cable, which is a bit of a naughty thing, but that's just because it's for me and I don't care and it'll do the job. Normally you would crimp on a stranded cable. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for, for patch cables. It's crimping onto solid core works fine, but it'll, it probably would. It'll, eventually. it'll break over time if you take it, it in. Yeah. Out a lot. yeah. But, yeah, but it, it, you know, in which it's, case it's not you moving. can crimp it again, can't you? And yeah. I can crimp it exactly. again and, and it's not moving. It's plugged into the back of my computer and into the back of the router. And I've used, it's all properly tested. It's fine. As long as I don't keep unplugging it and plugging it back in, it'll continue to be fine forever. Um, yeah. And you could probably argue the fact that solid core cable will probably give you better transmission um, than than stranded cable anyway, because that's why solid mm. core is used for fixed cabling. Um, anyway, so yeah, so I was filming the whole project and uh, yeah, literally filmed the moment of finding this bottle hidden in my wall, and it was just like, oh, I mean, my word! What possesses people to do that? I don't know. Well, what are they thinking? Yeah, I don't know. And it's opened up. What what kind of puerile schoolboy mentality must they have to do something like it's that? It's opened up a whole kind of worms because my first thought was, um, you know. What what do I do now? You know, I need to get in touch with the builders. Do do all my neighbours have these hidden in the walls? God, yeah. Uh, I need I need to speak to people, but then I thought, well, hold on, I best not talk to anyone until I've spoken to the builders first. Um, yes, and then I thought, hold on, this could be potentially a really big thing. So I ended up speaking to my solicitors first. Yeah, to see what their 
view of it was, because if it was potentially a criminal act, then that changes the course of action that I need to take. Of course. So the first thing I did was I, I got legal advice on it and sp- spoke to my solicitors. My solicitors somewhat surprisingly said that no law has been broken here. And I was like, really? And it's like, well, wow. none, none that they're aware of, and they're going to continue to look into it. Um, but, as, you know, that that in itself is just like, what? It's not against the law to hide bodily fluids inside a stranger's house surely this why aren't the laws against that anyway there must be health and safety laws that prevent that surely i mean it's just well apparently but and then then i thought well right and i need to put this out on my youtube because it's going to be the only way i'm going to find out whether or not this is a common thing or an isolated thing and sure enough from the comments Oh, my word. Not only is it a common thing, but it's been going on for hundreds of years. Yes. People saying that they found turds wrapped in newspaper dated from 1904 and, and stuff like this. And, God. Um, and, and all sorts of things. And it's like, oh, my word. Why, what? So I'm actively pushing at the minute to try and get the builders to be doing more to do something about this. Because they're saying, uh, and, and I spoke to the chief exec of the building company to to the top man. All right. Um, Because I said, you know, I am going to make this public. Um, I may or may not mention the building company, and at the moment I'm not mentioning it because I don't want to burn my bridges and destroy those communication channels because at the minute I can can talk to them. If I turn it into a – a lot of people have said in the comments, you should name and shame them, name and shame them. And it's like that is like number one rule of business. Don't burn your bridges because – yeah. At the moment, I can talk to them. Yes. As soon as I do that, barriers will come up. Then you'll, your, your solicitors are going to be talking to their solicitors, exactly. and suddenly get, that gets very expensive. Yeah, and there would be no progress, and it would just turn what was a difficult situation into an even more difficult situation. At the moment, the, there's very little I can do, but I could certainly influence them to do something um, yes, and, and and at the moment you've got some sort of dialogue going exactly. on, so at least you're in discussions. Yeah, so we'll we'll see what comes of that. But I mean, fundamentally, I don't understand why it's not a criminal act to do something like that. It's just like what it sounds bizarre, yeah, that, doesn't it? A legal thing to do, and this ties into the general sort of building standards that we have. I know you've tweeted about it, and I've seen on my Twitter thread as well, uh, uh, about German and Japanese companies coming into the UK housing market, which hopefully will help drive standards up. Yeah. Uh, 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 but, you know, uh, I think you said in in uh, your video that the you know, British building standards are the laughing stock of, of the world, pretty much. Uh, the, the standard and quality of building that we get is is shoddy. It, it was quite interesting um, going through the comments, and there was very much a pattern um, of countries who clearly had the same problems as we do, right? And then countries who were just absolutely that would never ever happen in where they live. Um, a lot of people from the states saying, you think you've got it bad, you should see what things are like over here. Really? Uh, so I get the impression that things are, are just as bad in in the States, um, if not worse. And then uh, uh, comments from other parts of the world, as I say, just where they were basically saying that's just shocking. You would never, ever, because things are more tightly controlled and 
uh, people have more pride in their work. And and I, I do think one of the fundamental problems is lack of ownership in the end product. Yeah. The you know yes no you're building a house but you're never even getting to see the finished house. It's not like you've, yeah because you're moving on and doing the next bit of drywalling or yeah, whatever else. And, yeah. and I've seen this across, you know, I've seen it in, in IT. I'd, I used to work for a large IT outsourcing company and it was exactly the same. As soon as it turned from being you're looking after your own IT systems into you're looking after other people's IT systems and they're not really yours and then that lack of ownership goes out yeah. the window, the lack of pri- uh, pride goes out the window as well and uh, suddenly it's just turned into a doing the bare minimum to get the job done because it's not your thing. It doesn't benefit you in any way yeah. to see the end product. And um, so I, I do think that, um, how do you fix that? Lordy, how do you, yeah. how do you prevent global outsourcing and um, subcontracting? Yes. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a very, very difficult problem to fix. But It is. I, I mean, just to sort of, tangentially to to your story really um and just to show that it's not just in the in the housing estate type new builds that have problems uh my sister had a has had a house built for them uh, in cheshire and uh not including we didn't have anything nasty going on but uh, the, the money quote from a uh, uh, the whole experience has been the personification of everything that's bad about British workmanship. Okay. Um, uh, my uh, sister Barbara and husband Steve uh, have their own business. It's very successful. Uh, Steve has multiple cirrhosis. He's a, a wheelchair user. And as a forever home, you know, with a view to <laughs> the, the the future, basically, uh, they decided to have a house built. They've sort of adapted as Steve's condition has progressed, worsened, regressed. Uh, they've adapted the houses that they've had, and they decided to to go all in and build one with, you know, Steve's wheelchair access specifically in mind. But they want it, you know, it's a modern build. They want it nice. Uh, they uh, acquired the the plot, and it's a it's in a lovely position. And this was a proper build. Uh, this was uh, half a million put set aside just for the build. Uh, they've got quantity surveyor and project manager. They're not trying to do this themselves. Because of the work that they've had done on previous houses, they know a good chippy, a good bricky, good electrics, good plumbers. They didn't want to do, use those individual guys because it was too big a project for them. They put They've got, you know, had the whole thing designed properly by architects and uh, the building firm that they chose had done a few uh, high-end home builds, but were mostly in the commercial sector that they build private hospitals and that kind of thing. So, you know, very well regarded, a proper company, you'd expect things to go pretty smoothly. Uh, it's, it's been three and a half years and they still haven't had the building signed off. Haven't had it signed up. There are. What? So it hasn't started yet. Oh, no, no, they've started, but the, the surveyor, uh, refuses to sign it off because there are still too many things wrong. Um, 
Uh, it was just a, a litany of ridiculous mistakes that were being made by the building firm, by subcontractors. They were using um, for for the, they had you know it's in a in a lovely position, big sort of picture windows imported from Germany or Switzerland. I can't remember where. Big you know sliding doors that would open fully, so Steve can get his wheelchair out into the garden if he needs to. Uh, every single window leaked. No. Yeah, being the Cheshire Plain, they get a lot of lot of rain as well. And every single window leaked. I think they've still got one that's still leaking. This is uh, three and a half years since the building started, three years since they moved in. Um, because the installers that this building company used weren't certified, the warranty is void. No. On the windows. Uh, same with the kitchen. Same with the heating. Um, they didn't have... It's taken them almost three years to sort out their heating. They're using a air source heat pump. Right. They have a big... Uh, I think it's Mitsubishi air source heat pump. The Rolls-Royce of heat pumps should be able to heat a home, you know, four times the size of what they have. And it's not a small house. Uh, but the uh, heating engineer that they used, who apparently is a lovely guy... I'd never done one before, and he hasn't run enough pipe in the floor. Now, you think that would be a fairly schoolboy error, but, you know, it's in the floor, it's under, it's concreted in, it's under, you know, I think the tiles on the floor are, are a metre square, each one come from Italy. They're, you know, that floor's not coming up again. Oh, They've had to spend word. another £18,000 for a supplementary air source heat pump just to provide them with hot water. And they've had to find the space to make that, uh, to fit that as well. I mean, it's it's just, uh, the, the, the whole thing has been a, a disaster. They've got this really fancy kitchen, but again, the installers they used weren't certified to fit this, you know, whatever German or Swiss kitchen. So a whole host of things just weren't working. Uh, they had, uh, when they moved in, they didn't have a working oven for six weeks. That's crazy. And the subcontractors blaming other people. It's just a, just a ridiculous situation to be in. Uh, one of the other things was they've got, again, because Steve's in a wheelchair, they've made the garden accessible. So there's a long, very gentle ramp so they can get up the garden path. To the, to the top of the garden, where there's a nice view, and it's where we scatter my mum's ashes. And there's a seat there. And, you know, you can take in the Cheshire countryside. Uh, and to do this, uh, to make the path safe, it's a special kind of rubberized, grippy material that they use in a, in a lot of public buildings. Uh, again, they'd never done this before. And it hasn't taken. Um, it, it keeps crumbling. So he can't, you know, three and a half years on, he can't get to the end of his oh garden. Oh, my word. It, it's just ridiculous. They thought initially for the, for the price that the build was going to cost, maybe get a huff house, a, a kit, mm-hmm. you know, similar sort of money. Couldn't get planning permission for it. And, uh, you know, the the house is lovely. It's in a fantastic position. It's really nicely designed. 
but it's just not working properly. Um, it's, it's cost them a, a lot more, not just in money, to get to where they are now, and it's still not 100%. I think between everything that you're seeing and what I've run into in the big new build estates, another obvious problem is just lack of skills. Just it, It's just lack of people who know how to do the jobs properly yeah. by the sounds of it as you say the fact that, that yeah. I, I don't th- i don't think pe- very i don't think many people actually willingly go out wanting to do a bad job no I, i'm sure there are people who just don't care but i don't think people specifically go out trying to do a bad job because that's not in anybody's nature i just don't think that the people uh who were involved selling on this project were good enough. They're just the wrong people by the sounds of it. Yeah. And, and, and especially if they're not certified to, to do those particular tasks, if it's for, yeah. for certain products that you have to be certified to install that product, then why could they not find certified people or do, were they just I don't even think, I don't think they considered it. I, I don't know. Really? Do you um, think uh, they've just, decided to take the chances and go for it and yeah but uh, I, I wish the powers you know i wish the people who were in charge of all this sort of stuff would listen to this show this particular episode yeah because i think it just summarizes so many things that are wrong with the uk building industry at, at the minute lack of pride in the work lack of ownership shortage of skills, the the planning processes which somehow allow giant housing estates to get built yeah. with almost complete disregard to planning um and and building regs where effectively they're getting third party companies to sign off on, on building regs yes. when the the properties aren't meeting building regs. I mean there's so many deviations from building regs in, in my house, it's just yeah. I'll be making a video about that. We've got windows in talking of leaking windows. We've we've got a patio window yeah. that has always leaked and we just can't stop it from leaking. And the builders came back, must have been three or four times, and eventually it was just like, you know what it is. It's it's literally a drop of water when the rain's really heavy. Yeah. And it, eventually it just got to the point, I'll just live with it. You know, yeah. I, I don't want you coming back to my house anymore because you clearly don't know how to fix this problem. Yeah. I've ended up just trying to track where the leak's coming from and just putting a little bit of silicon. That's improved it by 90%. Yeah. And Unless there's, like, really, really heavy rain, um, it's generally fine. I've got another window where there's, like, a probably a 5 mil gap at the top where you could literally, you can see out to outside. God. Um, it's not a massive problem. Um, at some point I'll have to sort it out, but it's yeah. three stories up, so it's not yeah, going to be an sure. easy one to do, and I can't do it from the inside. Um, I'll just live with that little bit of extra ventilation in the room, <laughs> you know. But it's just like, if, if you think about all... And I, I've always said, imagine it was a, a car, like a 300 or a £500,000 car, yeah. and how perfect that car would be in every single respect, how overly engineered every single component that makes up that yeah. car would be. And and someone said in the comments on my video, 
oh, it's not fair to compare it with cars. And it's like, yeah, cars are much harder to build than houses. Yeah, they move. I, 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 I could have a stab at building a house. I couldn't have a stab at building a car. It wouldn't be the best of houses in the world, and the brickwork would be a bit shoddy, but I reckon I could... Build a house, yeah. If push yeah. came to shove, I reckon I could build a house from top to bottom, and and it would be a functional house. But I, I couldn't build a car. You know, cars are way more complicated than houses. Um, but I think someone kind of misunderstood, and it's like, oh, well, houses are bigger than cars, and it's like, yeah, there might be- that makes them easier because <laughs> you can get in. Yeah, it just seems that we're we're still doing things the way that we're done a hundred, two hundred years ago, and nothing really seems to have moved exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah, I, I know uh, what's his name, Kevin McLeod on Grand Designs, talks about you know how the process should be mechanised and automated and houses should be made in factories, not in a, in a muddy field. And he's been rattling on about this for a while. And, and he's absolutely right. These, these huff houses, these kit houses, they're made in a massive factory and, and you know, trailered in and, and built in a few days uh, because there, there are no wet trades, no plastering, no rendering. It's all, you know, uh, made in a factory, as, as they should be. All the doors are pre-made and pre-fitted. Um, we, you're absolutely right. We do seem to be still making houses the same way that they that these houses were built. These houses, my house was built in Victorian times, 1860, 1870, and yet, yeah, apart from the fact that we're not using lath and plaster anymore, we're screwing plasterboard to to metal studs. The the principle is still the same. Everything's sort of brought together on on site and and thrown together on site. Uh, when these things could be being made almost as complete units and kind of craned in with all the services attached. It'll be very interesting to look back at this show in two or three years' time once this Japanese building company gets involved in shaping the market up a bit because it needs it. It And this is self-inflicted by the UK housing market and the building industry in general. Absolutely self-inflicted. Absolutely. Yeah, I do wonder if the Japanese, maybe the German companies coming into the market, will need to bring their own people in, bring their own builders in. Very possibly, because yeah. there's a, a massive shortage of skilled labour in in this country anyway. So that that in itself will be interesting to see whether or not they can even what they say when they put out adverts for jobs and they don't, they just don't get anyone. Yeah. Um. So. Watch this space. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, fascinating. Well, I'm sorry to hear uh, <laughs> about what you found, and I'm glad you haven't found any more. Well, I kind of feel a bit better that it's not just me. It, in a way, it was kind of the first thing that goes through your mind is like, oh, well, that's a bit, why have they done that? Do they, do they not like me? Yeah. And, and then it's you start thinking about it, and it's like, well, hold on. The, this was put in the walls and built. Well before well you, you before. got involved, yeah. Yeah, I, I was even involved in the purchase, you know, and 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 then you start thinking, well, have I just been really unlucky, and and this is just a one-off thing? That's pretty bad luck. And then you realise, nope, it happens everywhere, and it's happened for hundreds of years. Where to go with it? Watch this space. Where to go with it? Well, yeah, absolutely. I'll be, I'll be fascinated to hear how how you do how resolve this. If you do resolve this, um, if it's if you get any joy from the CEO of the. Uh, other building firm. I'm not holding my breath. No, no, probably not. But uh, as as PR disasters go, 
it's not the worst, but it's not great, is it? It's not great. And, um, I mean, they'll just hide behind the fact that it wasn't their staff. It was subcontractors. No, it was a subcontractor. And and no no laws have been broken. And apparently. no laws have been broken. And um, uh, <laughs> and uh, they, they did offer um, a, a very nominal um, compensation for my hassle. Oh, did they? Um, <laughs> but I don't want to be viewed that I'm... I don't want them thinking that they've paid me off. No, you're not. You're not doing this for money. Yeah, yeah. You're doing this for. Uh, I, I said, look, if you want to do that, fine, but just donate it to charity directly. Don't give it to me. Do it to a charity, which they've done, which is nice. Yeah. And then they sent us like a, a letter they got back from the charity saying how happy the charity were that they received this money. And it's like, yeah, I bet you didn't tell them why they received the money. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be uh, oh, paid off as part of it. I want to be able to talk about it, um, but I don't want to burn my bridges. We'll we'll see where this goes. Cool. Well, we're, we're an hour and a half in. We're best... Um, should we chat a bit about Maker Central in the uh, in the after show? Yes, we will. We're, are we, I, I feel like we've chatted about it an awful lot, but we haven't really spoken publicly that much about it uh, uh, to each other, have we? So, uh, yeah. We haven't really debriefed, have we? Not really. It feels like forever since I spoke to you, actually. It, it does. Well, it's... Yeah. Because we're recording this a little bit late. And uh, So thank you, everyone, for listening. Once again, uh, you can find me at Gosforth Handyman on YouTube and Gosforth Handyman on Instagram and Gosforth Andy on Twitter. And where can we find you, Peter? I am 10 Minute Workshop on YouTube, uh, at 10 Minute Workshop on Instagram, at 10 Minute Shop on the Twitters. And of course, uh, you can post feedback uh, to the podcast at Measuring Up PC on Twitter, uh, on Instagram at Measuring Up Podcast or email contact at measuringuppodcast.com will always reach us. Uh, we need to do a few shout-outs to say thank you very much to our Patreon supporters. Andy, you go first. In, indeed. We'll give our random Patreon wheel a quick spin. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that saves me having to search for that sound effect. <laughs> thank you very much to Owen Bullock, Graham Bailey, Peter Edwards, Paul at Cunningham's Custom Creations, Dominic Kazinchin, Ryan Hunt, James's Man Cave, Michael Stringer, Steve Avery, and Kevin Steer. And I'm going to say thank you very much to Mike Parsons, the untested wood- woodworker, Wayne Gilbert, Mark Duff, Kevin Miller, Darren McKelvey, Harry Kappa, Douglas Dale, Max Veertz, Jay Wong, and Piece of Timber. And remember, you can follow the show on Instagram as well, Measuring Up Podcast on Instagram and Measuring Up PC on Twitter. If you want to send us any feedback publicly, that is always appreciated. And if you would rather send us a private little note, you can do so via the contact form on the Measuring Up Podcast website, which is measuringuppodcast.com. Lovely. Uh, The music for this show is Silver by Riot. Uh, If you have a minute, please rate us on iTunes. Uh, ratings and reviews really help push us up the stack in iTunes uh, and further up the stack is where we want to be but I think that's it for this week Uh, hopefully we'll see you lovely people uh, over on the Patreon after show Uh, but that's it for now thanks for listening and we'll see you next time see you later on Bye. bye